Blog Talk Radio. It's a gridiron stud show and a promo that's got the flow. Football knowledge from toe to toe with Amo, Calamino, and the other host. You already know Chad Wilson brings you the show. Dial us up. Give us a call. We're waiting here to talk some ball. 347-633-9365 is the number to call. So don't sit around. No time to stall. Giving you football from wall to wall. And now we give you our two hosts, Amo and Chad, with your breakfast toast. She's a freshman, but of course they want to get a good head start because it's the government. It might take them a year to process it. So anyway, like a good boy, I estimate, you know, whatever the income numbers are, I fill it out. You got to mm-hmm. sign it. So I take sure. a simple route. I say, you know what, the hell with the ele- – and I like electronic stuff, by the way. I'm not some idiot like that. But I said, I, I've gone through this before last year. I, re- I kind of remembered the pain. So I yes. said, let me just print out the signature page that day and mail it in. Because you got two weeks. I mean, even you know, the, even the mail. I'm going to figure they can get it there in a week. Tomorrow the deadline is signed. It. Guess what? Still not registered as signed. So I said I better go in and sign this electronically. Well, yes. I got to tell you something. There's you need not a, a pin, listener right? in this audience. Pardon me. You need a pin to do that, right? You need a pin. They have the account locked. I have challenge questions. Dan, wouldn't you know that, you know, I don't remember them. So all I want is the secu- you could do it a different <laughs> way. They can email They can email you the security code, and then you can unlock it. Guess what? Mm. The, the email's not coming through. No email. Yes. Do it three, four times. No email, no security code. I'm telling you right now, there's not a listener in this audience who doesn't have a bank account that's easier to get into than this. oh my friend i'm only laughing because i've been through it um more than twice more than four times because i got two in college and i've been frustrated you would think having to do it multiple times it'd be a smoother go but i've been through it several times it's been a frustrating process every time it's little wonder why i haven't put my fist through my uh, apple macintosh screen more than once but i you know hey you could be a Democrat, you could be a Republican, it doesn't matter. Let me just tell you this. Unless you're carrying the water and you work for the federal government, there is nothing that the federal government touches or gets their hands into that works smoothly. And that goes across party lines, so don't take that as a partisan statement. It doesn't matter if Barack Obama's the president, George Bush, Ronald Reagan, John F. Kennedy. It doesn't matter, okay? They can't touch something without screwing it up. So do us a favor. Don't touch our favorite sport, football. 
Oh, yeah, you know how it goes. Uh, it really starts with them not caring. But here's something we do care about. There were two NFL championship games yesterday. It was the AFC championship game. It was Brady versus Manning. NFC championship game. It was two New Jacks, Cam Newton and Carson Palmer. Uh, one of these two games were a good game. The other game was a laugher, and we are here to talk about it and more for the next uh, hour on the Great Iron Stud Show. And if you want to join us on the show today, the number to call 347-633-9365. Again, 347-633-9365. We will take your calls on the show today. If you have a question or comment about either one of those games, Brady versus Manning, for the fifth time, I believe, in a championship game. And amazingly, you know, Tom Brady is everyone's uh, lover boy, if I could use that term, the greatest quarterback to play the game. Arguably, arguably the greatest. Everyone has anointed him as that, whether you love him or, you know, or hate him. He's been that. But you know what, Abel? In In a championship game, he's had to bow down to Peyton Manning. How about that? Yeah. Uh, yesterday, yesterday Peyton got it done. Isn't Pardon it three me? to two in favor of Manning in that situation? Uh, it might be three one. Something like that. I know he, Manning has the upper hand when it comes to championship games. Not in the overall meetings, but he has the upper hand. Yeah, eleven six overall. Eleven six is probably the way that final score is going to end too, unless Peyton surprises us all and plays another year, which mm, doesn't look likely. Mm. Yeah, so uh, how about that? And uh, we can talk more about that as well. And then uh, the second game, uh, not how people expected this one to go. Thought we'd have a, a closer game there, even for someone like myself that picked the Carolina Panthers. Uh, wasn't seeing 49-15. I did think there was a chance that this game could go hard in favor of Carolina, but 49 points, not exactly what I was expecting. Complete and total meltdown by the Arizona Cardinals in that one, in particular Carson Palmer. But, uh, yeah, you know. yeah, that was uh, that was uh, quite the uh, <laughs> quite the game. You were right on that one. You nailed that one. Yeah, you know, it's just uh, Carolina looking at looking at how they play football, how they're playing football right now. Just really felt like the turnovers were going to be a big part of this thing, and it's very difficult to get Carolina to turn over that football. And likewise, they can. They can really strangle the other team and make them do things they don't really want to do, and that's really what that game ended up being about. And when we're looking, yeah, at it was. Players, and you know, Palmer looked as bad as I've ever seen him look. Well, you know, I can't say I've watched as much of his pro career as previously as you know in college, but certainly, I can't imagine him having many games where he looked worse than yesterday at the pro level. But you know, a lot of that fans are killing him, but a lot of that had to do with Carolina, and you know. Uh, sometimes you just have to give credit to the other team. Yeah, uh, and I think the team with only one loss during the regular season should indeed get a certain amount of credit. We can talk about why that uh, the amount of credit due has, was not really being paid to the Carolina Panthers uh, as we launch really into our analysis of both of these games in our next segment. But uh, we're in our opening segment, so we have a chance to touch on all type of things Um that might fall outside of that. And one of those things I want to touch on was, you know, last week there was a firing in Cleveland, and no, um, it wasn't the Browns, and it wasn't the Cleveland Indians. It happened to be on the Cleveland Cavaliers, and everyone had a really good time with it as Blatt was fired as the you know coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers. 
and enter Tyron Lue, and immediately you know who everyone pointed a finger at, Emil, right? Right. Who, who, uh, LeBron? I mean, come on, he's yeah. not LeBron. He's not LeBron. Yeah, immediately finger pointed at LeBron James, and the talk was uh, the team's thirty and eleven. You're first place in the Eastern Conference. How in the hell do you fire a coach? And so that must have been LeBron James. I don't know if that was LeBron James, but if it was, Emil, is there something wrong with, in your mind, allowing LeBron James to quote-unquote run that basketball team? Do you see a problem there? Well, I mean, I think, you know, at some point we just have to get used to the fact that, you know, we are football fans here. We're sports fans, right? But but the NBA is kind of a different animal, wouldn't you say? I mean, a lot of us are trying to say, well, you know, it's not how you run a team, but football and basketball are, you know, at least professional basketball, not college, but professional basketball, they're different animals. I mean, the stars have always run the teams. You know, you know, people say that, you know, maybe we get an older caller someday and can say I'm wrong, but I mean, I'm trying to remember back in my day, you know, I mean, I, was, I grew up kind of a Sixer fan because I liked Dr. J, you know, when I was a kid, he was, you know, living in Pennsylvania and just Dr. J was cool. I mean, Dr. J for younger listeners, I would kind of say it was Michael Jordan before Michael Jordan. Would you kind of agree with that? Sure. I mean, he was, you know, he did the, the, a lot of the commercials. That, really, uh, at that point in time. Yeah, I mean, he did the commercials, and he, he originally went to the ABA coming out of college. He had the big wild afro. He did the dunks. I mean, he, that, that was Dr. J. And, you know, I mean, you're going to have a hard time convincing me, even though Billy Cunningham was the Sixers coach, and he was a very good coach that Dr. J at the time didn't have a lot of input into what happened with the 76ers. <laughs> You're just going to have a hard time sure. selling that one to me. And Larry Bird with the Celtics and, and Magic Johnson with the Lakers. I mean, come on, they're your stars. There's there's five guys on a basketball court. Give me four above-average players and a superstar. Oh, let me, I'm let, already... let, me, let, me, let me stop you there. I don't know so much about the 76ers, but uh, when you're talking about the Celtics, uh, then the Celtics that Bird was a member of and – the uh, Lakers team that Magic was a member of, you had strong personality coaches there. And yet, you know, you had Casey Jones, you had Pat Riley. I don't know about those guys really running the basketball team. In the fact, I don't know, know about running about it, but let's face it. If Magic's, if Magic had a sit down behind, remember, there's less, there was no social media then. It was, it was a completely different world we lived in. But so, so there was nobody tweeting stuff out. But let's pretend. Magic was having a tough time. You don't think he he called Pat and Riley and said, "Hey, can we talk?" He might he would probably do it at a press conference if he said, "Listen, I don't like the way we're running the offense." Blah blah blah. I think it needs to go through Cream and you know, or t- through me. You think Pat didn't listen to him? I mean, publicly he might have given the persona that you know, you know, I'm in charge. But come on, you got to listen to Magic Johnson. I don't know. Um... I don't know if you even I don't even know if you have those kind of conversations. I think Magic Johnson was great because he did things the way Riley wanted them really, really well. Uh and I think that was probably the same for Bird. You know, I think this, Amel, if I can get philosophical, I think for a lot of these professional athletes, uh we're talking mm-hmm. basketball and football, um, even baseball to a certain extent. And I don't want to make it look like a whole luck thing. There's a lot of fortune in the franchise that you end up with. You know, well, Magic Johnson. You know, there's no there's no doubt about that. I mean, of that time. 
right? He could have ended up right. on the Cleveland Cavaliers. While he might have been a pretty good basketball player, he wouldn't have been Magic Johnson. So, you know, and, and back in those days, I just think landing at the proper place um, is what could lead to your stardom. In this day and age, though, in, in, in the NBA, I think these players, and salary might have a lot to do with it, they're trying to control uh, their destiny, no matter where they land. So here you are in Cleveland and you're LeBron James and you're going to assert yourself a little bit more in how things are run and not just allow yourself to fall into the hands of, of doom that you might fall into if you're with the Cleveland And you, and you might have a valid point there because, again, you know, the Lakers were always, you know, before Magic got there, they were the Lakers. You know, they didn't need Magic to make them well, the Lakers. Magic they- pre- yeah, Magic revived them at a, at a point in time where they were having some struggles, but they were already the Lakers, you know, and some, to some degree, um, for lack of a better way to phrase it, I think maybe LeBron has a sense of, Hey, I'm doing you a favor playing in Cleveland. And there may be some truth to that. You know, there may be some truth. I think when he was fans are having a really good time sitting back, looking at what's going on with LeBron. But I would just say this, if LeBron was in San Antonio, how much running of a team is he doing there? Let's think about that. He's not because the San Antonio Spurs are the New England Patriots right now of the NBA. They're the best run organization in not only the NBA, they may be the best run organization in sports year in, year out. They're always right there competing for NBA titles. And if he comes there with that attitude, you know, I'm pretty sure Pop sits down with him and says, listen, LeBron, I love you. You're the best player in the world, but I've won championships without you. And, you know, either you're going to do what we do or I'm going to get a ton of draft picks when I trade you. Yeah, and to that extent, I think LeBron's smart enough to say, I don't need to do that here. You know, yes. I, I just don't think he would feel the need. I think he's in Cleveland. And so that begs the question, Emil. You know, the hire has been made. It's Tyron Luke, for whatever the reason may be. Perhaps he was more in tune to what needed to be done there. Um, the reports that I'm getting, because, you know, I have someone that knows Tyron Lou pretty well, is that uh, Black was a little bit clueless and that Tyron Lue really was the one, um, I don't want to say calling the shots, but really organizing things and having the Cavaliers do on the court what it is they needed to do to be successful, to get them the third. He was more the reason why they were 30 and 11 than Black was. And I think the brass started sitting in on that and realized it and said, well, hell, what are we, what are we doing here? And, and, hey, maybe, Emil, they were – um, urge to observe this greater by by LeBron James, that's possible. Um, but at the end of the day, they did observe this and said, well, you know, why don't we move on from Blatt? And the guy that's really responsible here should be the guy holding the title of coach. And so Tyron Lue ends up being the coach. But my point is this. How about Cleveland going out and getting a strong personality there as as coach? Is that something you think they're afraid to do because you already have a personality there in LeBron James? Um, he may scare some of them away. Plus, who do you, I mean, I don't know. Listen, I've been following the NBA a lot more this year just because I figure why be miserable when football ends till baseball starts? I might as well have something else to pay attention to besides the presidential election, which makes me miserable. So, um, yeah. you know, from what I can tell, at least, I think, you know, who, who who's out there? I mean, I don't know assistants, but I do know – you know, a lot of the big names, I mean, you know, a Calipari, is he, is he a guy that's going to leave Kentucky? 
to try this again? I mean, I don't know. I think they're kind of in a situation where they understand LeBron. He's been in the league a long time, and that's just, you know, he's from Cleveland. And, you know, let's let him run the team. I mean, I mean, he almost won the NBA championship by himself last year. I mean, you know, people might not want to hear that that don't like him, but the truth of it is, if you recall that series, with all the injuries they had, he, he was up 2-1 to one by himself. That's the way I look at it. So he's not doing a bad job. Uh, Cleveland, you know, everybody's saying their record, their record, they have the best record in the East. But if you look at mm-hmm. their games where they've played winning teams this year, good teams, they haven't fared very well. They've lost yeah, to the better team. Yeah, I think that's team. where some of the frustration started to settle in. And I think it reached its crescendo when uh, on, on, you know, MLK Day, Golden State slapped them sideways. And they really well, realized. Yeah, what did they lose by almost? They were down they 43 points in that game, weren't they? At one yeah. point, 40 some sure, points. They realized just how far away they are from winning at all, and let's try and do something about this now rather than later. But quite honestly, Emil, the way Golden State is playing right now, and um, you know how I am. This is great during the regular season. Let me see what happens when you get into the day-to-day grind of the playoffs. But the way Golden State is playing right now, I don't know what moves Cleveland can make to get themselves close enough to, to beat this team if it comes down to those two at the end again. But, again, I do want to well, stress this to those listening out there. There's some things that look great in the regular season, look dominant, um, and look like they can't be beaten. And when you get into the grind of the playoffs and you're playing real teams, real games every night, suddenly, man, maybe those threes don't just fall like they, like they did during the regular season against you know teams every now and then who don't really care. Well, and ironically, you know, playoff basketball and playoff baseball actually are, are, are very similar in that, okay, basketball, you use much more of your rotation in the regular season. So you're, you might go 10, 11, 12 even during the regular season, depending on the team. That bench gets much shorter in the playoffs because obviously you're, you're in a series, there's days off a lot of times. So you might shorten your bench to eight or nine. Same thing in baseball. You know, you're going five deep in your rotation. That's great. Uh, you know, some days you're facing the number five pitcher, you get to the playoffs, there's not a lot of runs scored typically. Why? Because you're facing the three best pitchers the other team has, right? Sure. Sure. So I, I think, you know, I think the playoff basketball is a lot different. For me, I mean, from what I can see, and I'm certainly no uh, NBA maven by any means, but to me it's just a three-horse race. I think you got Golden State, obviously, San Antonio's right there, two games behind them. They've been playing phenomenally. And I, I don't think you can totally throw out Oklahoma City, depending on what they can possibly add at the trade deadline, because when you have uh, Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, you're dangerous. So for me, that's right. it. No, I mean, no doubt about that. Yeah, no doubt about that. I just don't have, I don't have faith. I don't see Oklahoma City being able to get past either one of those two to get to the end. But this is an interesting discussion though talking about LeBron James running the Cleveland Cavaliers and is and is that the best thing and when we get back we'll talk about how that might be taking place in the NFL and what are the results on that and they might have bared themselves out in the results that we saw in both of the championship games yesterday we'll talk about that more when we get back on the Gridiron Stud show right after this Hey, 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 do you love fantasy sports? 
Do you love money? Do you love excitement? Well, get ready, because you may have found your heaven. FanDuel has combined all of these great things into one amazing website. Turn your love for sports into money and excitement with one week and even one day fantasy leagues with a chance for enormous payouts. FanDuel pays out over $10 million in winnings weekly to its members. That's right, $10 million. One member has made over $600,000 playing in their league. Another customer entered a one-day contest for $25 and get this, cashed out $25,000 that day. FanDuel even offers a 100% money-back guarantee. Sign up now and join a league. If you don't absolutely love it, they'll give you your money back. You can enter leagues for as little as $1. For a limited time, FanDuel is offering a 100% deposit match bonus to Gridiron Stud Show listeners. That's right, they'll match your initial deposit all the way up to $200. What more can you ask for? Just head over to FanDuel.com right now and enter the promo code GRIDIRONSTUDS when you sign up. But you better hurry. The match bonus is going to end soon. Just head over to FanDuel.com and enter the promo code GRIDIRONSTUDS. Do it now! Sure, summer's gone, winter's here, but that doesn't mean everyone's putting their t-shirts away. Whether it's the company recreational basketball team, the youth soccer league for the kids, or the Halloween party your buddy throws every year, t-shirts are as much a part of the American culture as Tom Brady deflating footballs. Screen-printed t-shirts are costly when done for small groups. They're limited in color unless you want to pay even higher prices. More colors, more costly. The answer? Do it yourself at home with your inkjet printer and a hand iron. Whether it's your 7-on-7 team, your child's birthday party, or the family reunion, you can do it yourself and they'll look great. That's right, with heat transfer paper sold at t-shirtsupplies.com, you can design your own logos, you can do the wording, whatever you want, print it on your own inkjet paper sold by t-shirtsupplies.com, and iron it on with your own hand iron. The design or pictures you put on your t-shirts are limited only by your own imagination and creativity. If you dream it up and design it, the paper sold at t-shirtsupplies.com can get it onto your t-shirt. By the way, don't worry if you haven't done it before. As T-Shirt Supplies has first-rate customer service, they'll help you get the right paper for your project and steer you in the right direction. Visit them at t-shirtsupplies.com. That's t-shirt, no hyphen, supplies pearl, all one word, dot com. Or call them at 1-877-857-2737. 1-857-85-PAPER. T-ShirtSupplies.com. Go there now. recapping what went down yesterday, but, uh, you know, just kind of linking our last discussion onto the NFL. Uh, we might have touched on this a little bit in the past, Abel, but, uh, you know, it's time for me to talk about it a little bit more. And that is, we talked about LeBron James running the Cleveland Cavaliers, and is that the best thing for Cleveland? Is it the best thing for any franchise to allow a player to run the actual team? 
And when I sit here and look at the New England Patriots, they have four Super Bowls championships, this Brady and Belichick era. They have four Super Bowl championships, 2001, yeah. 2003, 2004, and then the one that they got last year, which many would say they probably shouldn't have had. And when I think about it, Emil, since the New England Patriots have decided to basically let Tom Brady run that football team, um, the, you know, at least the offensive side of it, and run everything through him, They've not been as successful as they were in Tom Brady's early years. When I look back at 2001, 2003, and 2004, the New England Patriots were a physical football team that saw the wisdom in running guys like Antoine Smith and Corey Dillon and Tom Brady coming up with timely passing when they needed it to get to where they needed to go and win championships. And it seemed... Post-2004, it was all about going to five wide receivers and making Tom Brady into a star. And since then, they've not been nearly as successful as they were in those first three, four years. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's the way they've thrown that in. And now when I look over at the other side with the Denver Broncos, what has Peyton Manning been? He's been a guy that's run the offense. Everything goes through him. There's an offensive coordinator on the teams that he's played, but that's in title only. And it's only now, Emil, and it's ironic that in this year – Peyton Manning had to capitulate to Gary Kubiak's offense. It wasn't Peyton Manning running the show again. It was, this is the offense. Peyton, fit yourself in it. Um, we're going to run the ball. We're going to let the defense do their thing. And where does Peyton Manning find himself uh, at the end of this season? He finds himself in the Super Bowl. <laughs> exactly. No, I mean. Exactly. Yeah, no, I mean, listen, very valid point. I mean, you know, finally this year, and I think part of it might have been, maybe Peyton having the realization that, you know, father time is going to win and this is my last chance. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, may, maybe realizing that he can't do what he used to do and playing within what, what what he can do well and what Denver does well, which right now is they play very good defense. And right. they, they run the ball. They're not a great running team, but they're not a bad running team. They run it when they have to usually. I mean, you know, they're, so, I mean, I think Peyton's finally found – some whatever it is, some the, the the right place mentally, I guess, to allow himself to go to that place where you know, listen, I'm not the superstar anymore. I I can be a piece, but I'm not the guy that's going to carry them to the Super Bowl. Sure, and I wonder if he did have a real sit down and heart to heart with John Elway, who was shoot, he was Peyton Manning before Peyton Manning. Everything went through John Elway. We remember those Super Bowls where they were great regular season teams. They got through the AFC, got through their championship games, got to the Super Bowls, and were beat every time. And some of them so soundly beaten that you would think, man, this team doesn't belong ever in a Super Bowl again. And when John Elway decided to defer to the running game with Terrell Davis and the defense, John Elway came away with two Super Bowls at the end and secured a legacy. And I wonder if Peyton Manning did go and have that discussion with John Elway and decided with some great wisdom um, to, you know what, let me, let me put this on my team. Let's not make this all about Peyton Manning. Let me put this on my team and let's see where this thing goes. And here well, yeah, or maybe John, El- maybe John Elway had that conversation with Peyton Manning. You know, maybe, maybe in other words, he, he kind of approached him and said, hey, Peyton, you know, let me talk to you about something and tell you something that, that I know from my career. Sure. 
Sure. And, and I uh, say this, I, by the way, I say this, and I don't want to get into a debate with people because I, I think these kind of debates are kind of circular and silly um, in that every, you know, it's almost like arguing who the best-looking supermodel is. It's all it's all taste. But for my for, for me, what I've seen in my life, in my 47 years, so 40-plus watching football, I still think John Elway was the best quarterback I ever saw. Um, you know, I'm partial to I'm partial to a Joe Montana, but you know, you could make that argument. You know, you could you could definitely make that argument. So, um, you know, that's always going to be a debate. It's just the way that John Elway ended up going out, though, Emil, is one that allows you to even make that argument. Because had he gone out like Dan Marino did, with you know the trips to the Super Bowl, but no. No jewelry, you wouldn't even, you couldn't even begin to make this argument. No, no, absolutely, and and you know, in yesterday's game, you know what Peyton did in that game is is not lose the game. I mean, he, you know, I hate to, you know, everybody overuses the term game manager, but he he truly was, you know, a game manager yesterday. He didn't turn the ball over, um, played to to the game plan. And in the end, it was it was Brady who made the critical mistakes in that game. That 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 you know, the two interceptions w- was probably the difference in the game. I mean, it was right. a tight ball game. Right, and let's dig a little deeper into why that may have happened. You know, in analyzing this game uh, on Friday, I was taking a look at at something. You know, looking at the box score from the last game, and I noticed. New England rushed the ball in that first game in which they were 30-24 to 24 losers to the Broncos. If we all remember, the Patriots were an undefeated football team going into that game. And in that game against Denver, they rushed a grand total of 16 times for 39 yards. And for me, that was something that I weighed rather heavily in, in analyzing this game and saying, you know what, looks like New England has a problem, either has a problem running the ball against the Broncos or they don't really want to run the ball against the Broncos. And if they come with that same mindset or they have that same problem in this game, uh, they're going to end up being on the losing end. And now, mind you, Abel, 30-24 to 24 is a close football game. And in a close football sure. game, the Patriots managed to run the ball only 16 times. So here we go again yesterday, another close football game. And, you know, hard to get closer than 20-18 to 18 as a final. And in a close game, the Patriots ran the ball 17 times for a grand total of 44 yards. In two games, the Patriots can even manage 90 rushing yards against the Denver Broncos. You tell That's the whole story there to me. Well, yeah, you know, and there's some, some stuff. I, and obviously when you're, when you're Brady and, and Belichick combined, I put them together. I mean, they've been to six Super Bowls. What was that, their 10th AFC championship game? And, you yeah. know, they've won the big game four times. So they're going to – get a pass on some of the questioning I think that other coaches would get. But there was a couple things that, you know, I want to toss out to you in that game. And before you start giving me, because you always defend defensive players and coaches, that's your two things. I know you now, okay? Oh, there's a lot going on. You know, I might write a book one day with that title. Yes, defensive defensive uh, guys in coaching. I defend them. It should be something like that. I'm t- by the Chad Wilson story because you'll start telling me there's a lot going on in that headset, Emil. Okay, okay. There's a lot going on in the pilot's headset when I fly, but I want to make good decisions. Okay, I misunderstood you. Yes, I know what it is to be there and have to make all those calls. Yes, and yes, and the, the pilot has chatter too, answer. so you don't want him to tell you, hey, guess what? When, when I was flying the plane, there was a lot of things going on in my ear, so I hit a mountain. Now listen. 
Let me ask yeah, you. You ever look in the cockpit? You ever see all those buttons in there? Oh, they got a lot Everybody of buttons in the cockpit. You press one button and you're flying. We're all good. I'm, I'm drinking a Michelob. You know, there's a lot going on. So let me ask you. I, I said this when it happened. I, you know, I, I would swear if it was worth anything on my children. I'm not Monday morning quarterbacking. For the life of me, I didn't understand this decision. There was about 5:45 left in the game. New England had all three of their timeouts, the two-minute warning, and they're trailing 20 to 12. There's nothing at this point in the game that says to me they have a fourth down and one on the Denver 13-yard line. There's nothing at this point in the game that says to me they're not getting the ball back because Denver's shown no ability to go on any kind of long drive at this point. You have all your timeouts. The score is 20 to 12. Jim Nance bails out Bill Belichick because most most of us in the world we think linear. So you know Nance goes well. You know kicking a field goal here is worthless uh, because uh, you know you still need a touchdown. Well, Jim, you're a fairly smart guy, but let me explain something to you. And this is what I said. I turned to my son-in-law and said, that's stupid. Because, see, if you kick the field goal there, it's 20 to 15. And when you get the ball back, which you will at some point, and if you score a touchdown, you win the game. The two-point play becomes irrelevant. But because of the thinking at that point. You would go for two. You would go for two. But it wouldn't matter. You'd be up 21-20. Correct. So instead, they, 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 they bypass the field goal, they go for it, they fail. Okay? Now, it was a fourth and one. With New England, fourth and one it might as well be fourth and five because they're not going to line the ball up and run it anyway. They're going to throw some goofy pass play, which they did backwards and, and you know, sideways, whatever they did. They didn't get the yard. Had they merely just taken the field goal, they take the two-point play at the end of that game completely out of it. That score most likely gives them the win. Now, we don't know what would have happened. They would have had a kickoff. I understand Denver could have returned the kickoff for a touchdown. But basically, looking at that ball game, six minutes left, I'm not turning away points in a tight game when I have all my timeouts left. You disagree with me, or do you agree? You mistakenly believe that I will back coach in said situation, but here's a number of ways that I'm going to go with this. Number one, it was not a very good decision by Bill Belichick. Um, and I think it's let me, I, I, I'm going to stay on this theme. If it is 2001, it's 2003, maybe even 2004, Bill Belichick does not make that decision. But since then, he's been put on this pedestal, and he's been made to feel in his mind that the decisions that he make are so eccentric and he is um, you know, so different than everyone else. That's what makes him great. That what, that's what makes Bill Belichick that guy, which I don't think in those early years he would have been thinking like that. I'm going to do the smart football thing, uh, and I'm going to just do that. But yesterday he wanted to be Bill Belichick. I'm going to do something that very Bill Belichickish, And that's the departure from those early very successful days to where we are now. He made a very big ego decision. That's number one, because I'm Bill Belichick, and people talk about how I take risk, and that's why I win. And so I'm going to take a risk here. That's number one. Number two, Emil, you know what? There goes a very big situation in which the fact that you don't have a running game, you haven't developed it, that's not even a part really of your offense. It's an afterthought. Stops you from being successful in that situation. Because in 2001, 2003, 2004, you line it up, you're physical, you've got Antoine Smith, you've got Corey Dillon, you go hand those guys the football, and they're going to find a way to get you a yard. So they might even bail you out of that crazy decision that you make. But so in 2015-16, you don't have that. you got major ego at the head coaching position. And then you're, you have major ego in that you're letting your star now, 
run the football team. So on fourth and one, if you don't even think about running the football, you're going to go throw it. I know what the Carolina Panthers, if they were going to mistakenly make that decision in the game, I know what they would have done on fourth and one. And it's not throwing a slant pass to no. Ted Ginn. And it's not no. throwing – they wouldn't even throw it to Olsen on that play. They're going to line that thing up, and they're giving it to Jonathan Stewart, or they're letting Cam Newton run that ball. And that's football. But, but line, I'm not even kill, you know, I can't even kill the play the call because the play. No, but I can't even kill the play call because the play call is going to be – I mean, that's what, as you're saying, basically, that that is what New England is. They're going to throw some bubble screen or slant. My problem with the whole thing is and, – and here's where I think Belichick gets that feeling from. As soon as he makes the decision, Jim Nance and Phil Simms immediately come to bail him out. They're, well, you know – uh, they, they're going to need a touchdown anyway, but that's not sound thinking. There's six minutes left in the football game. You've got four stoppages that you can you can initiate between your three timeouts and the two minute warning, and and you, there's no reason for you not to. Yeah, take I mean, Abel, we know all the math of it. We know it's the right thing to do. But I'm yeah. Those the very thing that you're talking about is the reason why Bill Belichick made that decision anyway. The media has made him into an eccentric Bill, and now where it was maybe a little bit of a, an advantage in the past, it's now going to be um, a stranglehold around his neck trying to live up to a century. What would happen so if Tom Coughlin made that decision and it worked out like that? He'd be getting crucified what if on Smith the back. Made that decision? What if oh, Lovey well, Smith Lovey made be that fired. Yeah, Jason Garrett would be Jerry Jones's puppet. I mean, any other coach that makes that decision, other than a few, maybe Mike McCarthy or somebody like that can get away with it, but – very few coaches can make that decision there and not really be questioned hard because that just doesn't make, from everything we know about the NFL game, and especially the way that particular game was going yesterday, it was a tight game. Denver had, what, 250 yards of offense. It wasn't like they were showing any ability to kill the last six minutes of that game. There's no reason. Right. You know, and he should have been questioned hard on that. That was a, a big, big play in that game because, as you know, Two-point conversions in the NFL, I think they're about 47 or 46% successful. So basically, by, by well, not making hey, those points. You're talking numbers, and for the New England Patriots, those numbers don't apply to them. We're the Patriots. So the rest of the league is at 44%. We're probably 88%. They're probably not. But in their mind, that's who we are. Well, yes, but what I'm saying to you as as uh, two radio show guys talking is that you and I both know they are. They basically turned that game when they scored that touchdown. They turned their season into a coin flip, whether they go on or not, because it's 50-50 on a two-point play. There's 22 guys in a small amount of space. Ball, the bodies are flying everywhere. You throw a football, it could get tipped, it could get dropped. Basically, you've turned your whole season into a coin flip, when, it, when in actuality you should have been celebrating and spiking the football at that point because you would have had the lead. Yeah, no doubt about it. And so I think the things that have uh, made the Patriots successful or might be the same things that, you know, swallow them here. And I don't know that Tom Brady is going to feel the need to do what Peyton Manning has done here towards the end. At some point, you know, no matter how much failure comes here at the end, and do and trust me, getting to the AFC Championship game and losing is as uh, much failure as anything for the New England Patriots. If you could see Tom Brady's face uh, as he had to have that conversation with Peyton Manning there, he feels like crap knowing that, once again, in this particular game, this guy got the upper hand on me. 
But let's when you look at it, I'm going to say it to you again. The Patriots yesterday in a game that was, for all intents and purposes, nip and tuck, 17 carries for 44 yards. On the flip side, the Denver Broncos, 30 carries, 99 yards. And that's on the heels of, in the first game, the, the, the Denver Broncos rushing for 179 yards. You want to know well, how we had, a caller, we had a caller on the show earlier this year, and I remember the call because he challenged us on the rushing thing. And I think mm-hmm. you and I, because we kind of both think about football is, in terms of strategy very similarly. And, you know, we, you and I mean, maybe it's just because of our age or, you know, I mean, I know it's not like you and I sit around mapping out strategy off the air. I think it has a lot just, to, to, you know what, Abel? We've watched, you like me, have watched football in five different decades. And there's some things that just haven't changed over time, and we're old enough now to really realize that. No, and I think we we get challenged because they mistake us as saying, like, we understand that the NFL is a passing league. We get it that, you know, I say it all the time in the show, my saying, no quarterback, no chance. I get it. But you have to be able to run the ball situationally effectively. In other words, you have to be able to convert third and ones, fourth and ones, when you want to pretty much at an 80, 85%, 90% clip, okay? You've got to be able to do that. You've got to have so many rushes a game just, just to keep the defense honest, to keep linebackers honest, to open up those passing lanes. I'm not saying you have to be, and I don't think you are either, we're not suggesting that we expect NFL teams to be the 1975 Oklahoma Sooners, okay? I'm not expecting the wishbone and, and 400 yards rushing here. What I'm saying is, you got to get to to 28 30 attempts every game just to keep the defense honest to keep your defense sure. fresh so so you're killing mm-hmm. some clock you've got to be able to and turn man, around you know, and remind your offense how to do that cuz you might need to right right and you've got to be able to like you said in that situation it's fourth and one your season's on the line if you're foolish enough with 6 minutes left to not take those points you got to be able to turn around hand somebody the ball and be fairly confident that they're going to slam it up in there and get that one yard. And if you can't do that in football, I still say it's going to be very hard to win Super Bowls. New England won last year probably because Seattle didn't do what we just said. If exactly. Just said. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's exactly what it boils down to. And Seattle was that team. And at that point in time, in that critical moment, Seattle decided to beat New England and lost. Yes. To the Patriots. Yes. So there Ironic. you go. Um, I ha- but you know, Emil, we'll have people that will fight us on this to the death because everyone's all about this passing now. Um, it's all about these geniuses, uh, genius offensive coordinators that can uh, scope these crazy passing patterns and, and 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 get guys open. And that's the genius. That's football now. And you know, that's great regular season football. That's going to work when you play Chicago that's on their back-to-back road games, and they're coming to your place, and you're going to completely smash them 42 to 7, and you're going to look like a complete genius. You're a juggernaut. You just beat another NFL team by 35 points. But when you get to the end, and everyone's good, that's when this kind of stuff rears its own. Well, let me ask you a quick question before you you go to break when we're still on this subject. I want to ask you a question. Who was the offensive coordinator slash head coach of the late 70s, uh, early 80s San Diego Chargers? Don Air Coriel. Okay. Who was the offensive coordinator or head coach of the 1973 Buffalo Bills, the electric company, with O.J., first 2,000-yard rusher? It was Don Air Coriel, but could we put Air in there? No, no. The, the point is you don't know that, and you know what? That That's the problem with most of these coaches. 
It's not sexy. I no one calls you a genius. Right? Pardon? I should know what your OC's name, your offensive coordinator's name. No, what I'm trying to say is no one knows the offensive. Matter of fact, we could do a trivia. Probably without Google, nobody could tell us who the offensive coordinator or head coach of the 73 Bills were because running for 2,000 yards doesn't make you a genius. But throwing the ball over the lot, to your point, everybody knows, anybody who's followed football knows the name from somewhere, Don Coriel. Even if you're 25 years old, your father or grandfather's told you, oh, yeah, I remember when Wes Chandler and Charlie Joyner played with Dan Fouts and Dan, Don Coriel threw the ball over the place. Remember? Yeah, no doubt that's about it. That's how I it works. That. That's what happens that's, to coaches. They all want to be remembered. And I know this is for you. That's part of what has shaped my mind to where it is now. Because I watched, in awe as a kid, the San Diego Chargers throw the ball all over the place. 4,000 yards. You just didn't get that. Dan Fouts did that. And he had all these guys that he would throw the ball around to. be hard to really name the running back. Yeah, you know, I did because I was a fan. You know, Lionel Little trained James. But he caught so many balls out of the backfield. And... They never really reached nirvana. They never reached the promised land. For all of that genius, they never really reached there. Now, Emil, you'll get people that will come to you, and they will throw this name out there to you when it comes to that. They're going to say, what about the St. Louis Rams? The Kurt Warner St. Louis Rams. Well, Marshall you know Falk my, is pretty good, too. <laughs> the ball around, right? You know what, I'm, you know what my reply to, is going to be to those people who, will, who have probably forgotten this? How many Super Bowls did those guys win? They won one. And, and and they held on for dear life for that at the one-yard line against Tennessee. And a couple of years later, where they probably had the better roster, they turned the Patriots into the Patriots we know today because the Patriots went there and beat them probably with, with less talent because the Rams were busy throwing the ball around. And the Patriots were very physical, smashed them in the mouth, and they got timely passing from some dude named Tom Brady that very few people knew, and they beat the greatest show on turf. Others may want to come out here and throw San Francisco 49ers out there, too. We'll go back and look at those San Francisco 49ers football team. You got a whole lot of talk about um, their ability to pass the football. But you know what? Bill Walsh knew when to run the football. And Bill Walsh cared about the running game. And there was a pullback. And, they did use and Roger Craig and Tom Rathman became household names. So, you know, they were doing something in that offense because I still remember Tom Rathman, and most older football fans know who he was. He was Moose Johnson before there was Moose Johnson. And Roger Craig w- would run and catch that ball out of the backfield, and he was physical. So, you know, you're 100% right. It wasn't all, you know, of course the quarterback and the wide receivers, because of the way they played, got got all the publicity. But they were physical, the 49ers. Make no mistake about it. That They were not playing flag football. They really weren't. Yeah, no one wanted to run into Tom Rathman. No. And, and no one really wanted to get in, get in Roger Craig's way with those high knees. And when they needed a yard, they'd just as soon run the ball. They'd just as soon run the football. So, you know, you could go check your history. I lived through that era. I watched it. And you know what? I watched it with tears on my cheeks because I was a Rams fan back there. So who knows better than how my team lost to them than me. So uh, oh, I'm just saying to that. I still listen you Googled, to this I, day. I love I this st- passing game. You better take a look at what's winning. 
Well, I still remember the the '81 NF, uh, AFC Championship game. The Air Coryell team they had lost the AFC Championship the year before to the Raiders. The Raiders had won the Super Bowl. They were going to go back and get it this time. They go to Cincinnati. Okay, the temperature is about five degrees, probably minus when you when you count the wind chill. Ball's frozen. They're playing the Bengals in Cincinnati. How do you think it worked out? I still remember the final yeah. score: twenty-seven you, you to seven. Listen. No chance of winning that football game when it got like that. No chance. Nope. So there you go. Uh, we need to talk about the other game. And, you know, big laugher there, but we need to talk about why this game ended up being one of the bigger laughers in AFC, uh, NFC championship history. We'll talk about that and more when we get back on the Gridiron Stud Show right after this. property owner or want to be one but you don't have time for property management then get an MVP on your team who has time for the letting process for arranging inventories and organizing pre-tenancy cleaning dealing with deposit negotiation and negotiating with service suppliers and maintenance no one's got time for that MVP does though get this MVP on your team you can rely on MVP property management to offer you an extreme amount of quality and professional services for your money. And because they know that everyone is different, they pride themselves in providing a professionalized service to each and every one of their clients. So how do you get this MVP on your team? It's simple. Pick up the phone and call right now. 844-696-8722. That's 844-MYMVPCC. Or send an email to info at mymvp.cc. Get this MVP on your team and start winning today. You want the truth? Well, here it is. Speed kills. And in no other sport is that true than in football. Speed gets you to the end zone. Speed gets you to the ball carrier. Speed makes you a winner. Do you want championship-type speed? Do you want speed that kills? Then Complete Speed is what you need. Complete Speed is turning athletes into game breakers. With quick and easy methods that are easy to understand, Complete Speed can shave time off your 40-yard dash, make you quicker and more explosive. They have a clear progression, drills, and exercises, along with specific instructions. They also have proven sample workouts and programs for you, the individual, or for you, the coach. Speed is what you need, so hurry now and check out Complete Speed. Just go to gridironstuds.com forward slash complete speed. That's gridironstuds.com forward slash complete speed for more information right now. On a Monday here on the East Coast, Chad Wilson, Emil Calamino breaking down what was in uh, both of yesterday's championship games. We just finished with the AFC. It's Peyton Manning up, Tom Brady down. It's time to talk about the NFC championship game, a game that your boy Carson Palmer would just as soon forget, huh, Emil? Oh, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm going to give some credit, though, to the other team. I mean, I think... 
he made some some decisions that I have to tell you, you know, I think any any fan would say I'm not sure what he was looking at, but also I think a lot of that was caused by the pressure. Um, he, you know, you just make you listen. There's been a formula like running the ball on offense, on defense. The formula for stopping most offenses is hit the quarterback early and hit him often. And you know, mm-hmm. Carolina did that, and I think it led to some really you know poor decisions from Carson as the game went on. Yeah, once again, they come out in a game at home and jump all over a team, which is what every coach says you got to do, um, which is what you've noticed in in years where you you know you've had you've had success in a championship game that the team that won uh, really came out and did that. Get all over this team early. Don't even let them think they've got a chance. And for the second week in a row, the Carolina Panthers were successful in doing that. And, you know, you got to give the defense credit, but you also got to take a look at what was done on the offensive side of the ball that really strangled the team and forced them into making those decisions that led to uh, all of the mistakes. As I was sitting there looking at it, it looked to me like Carolina was lining up and punching Arizona in the face with their ground game, being very patient with it, even when, you know, on first down you got a yard off a rushing play, they were not afraid to come back with another one, and really forcing Arizona to pile people in that box and and then letting Cam, when that happened, hit wide-open receivers, Abel. I mean, guys, wide open. Oh, and they yeah, that was, yeah, that was, yeah, that was, there was guys really wide open. Yep. And yeah, guys, it was, it was crazy. Expect to be wide open, Abel. I mean, Ted Ginn. Jericho, I'm going to let you say his last name. Cotchery. I'm not going to call him crotchety anymore. Oh, yeah, forget, you sound like a, you know, you tore the guy's name up on Friday. made it sound like a jock hitch situation. But nevertheless, <laughs> these are the guys that are getting wide open. Devin Funches, um, when people were questioning whether he's even an NFL wide receiver, these guys are wide open. Why is that? Because Carolina has to, I mean, Arizona has to pile into that box and stop Tolbert, stop Stewart, stop Cam Newton, and you're not going to do that with seven guys. So now when you decide to pass and you're looking down the field, you're going to see a whole lot of what you want to see if you're Cam Newton, who, by the way, I think um, his ascension to where he is now in this game is not about his running ability. He came into this game with that. It has to do with his ability to be on point and to be more accurate and to – Make better assessments as to what he's seeing downfield, and you know all of all the. Oh yeah, he, to him. he threw the ball great yesterday. I mean, and but the other thing that makes him a bear is just some of the things he can do when he wants to, like some of those running plays where he where he just went and got a first down. I mean, number one, he can outrun you. Number two, he's six five, two fifty. You can't bring him down. They're running quarterback sweeps, Amo. I mean, holy nineteen forty five. This taking a snap, pulling guys, and you're running your quarterback without a care in the world. But how are you stopping him with two yards to get if he turns his shoulders upfield? You're not. So you're not. Um, it's a very, it's a very scary situation for the defense. And the way that they came out, Amel, and put up the quick 17 points, put Arizona in a really, really bad spot. So even if Arizona wanted to run the ball, and to be honest with you, out of the two teams that lost yesterday. Arizona did show more of a willingness to want to run the football, but at the end of the day, they ended up running the ball less than. Well, you know, the and they also aren't very good at it. That's the other thing. 
I mean, you know, when they, you know, they may at least try to run the ball. I give them credit for that, but they're just not very good at running the ball, Arizona. Not when yeah, they, they did to. very little. They did very little to keep Carolina honest or to make them tired on defense. And as a result, you started seeing what you saw. I mean, and Luke Keekley, man, he's turned out to be one hell of a player for the Carolina Panthers. And you know what? He's taking these deep drops from linebacker to get in passing lanes. And if he had a thought at all that Arizona could run a ball down his throat, those pass drops aren't that deep. And he doesn't get to step in front of passes in the way that he does and find himself in the end zone uh, with the opponent's football for the second week in a row. And you just you just got to marvel at how Carolina's putting everything together. Well, and I think some of the analysis on the game was spent way too much talking about, listen, obviously Palmer had a bad game, but generally speaking, um, they they were just not the, the better team won. I mean, they just, they were better up front. You know, they Arizona, for anybody who watches football, and I'm sure you picked up on this real quick, they couldn't block Carolina's front, you know, you know front four. They couldn't block them. No. Not, not no, and some close. of that has to be with the ability that you're not in a situation to keep those guys honest. They're going to take pass rushes. You're down 17 nothing. They're going to take a pass rush until you keep them honest. Yeah. I mean, so ultimately in the end, I think, you know, this was really, I think, a lot of the analysis after the game, and sometimes I think that's just because obviously you need to fill airtime. Uh, too much time is spent on what you, you know, what they didn't do, what what uh, you know Arizona did wrong. I just think this is a case of they just got whipped by a better team, and, and I'm I'm really concerned that this is the kind of whipping that Arizona might not be able to recover from as easily next year going into the season. Sure, because what happens is you're sitting here thinking this is as good a team as we've ever had here, including the team that went to the Super Bowl, and what did we lose? Three games during the whole season? What did they lose? Three, four games during the season? Three. They were 13 and three. 13 and three. And at the end, we're, you know, we're 34 points away from the team that's going to the Super Bowl. What exactly is it that we do? What can we change? How do we close that gap? How do we become better than the best team we've ever had? And that's a that's a tall mountain to climb, and everyone involved in the organization has to be on board and motivated enough to want to make that climb again. And sometimes it's very difficult to get everyone to, to make that trek back up the mountain again. The regular season is going to be tough for Carolina next year. I mean, for uh, Arizona next year, knowing that at the end, you might be facing the same monster again, or, or, or even the Seahawks who. Well, yeah. And I just think it's very hard. I think it's very hard just to get through that regular season. Forget who you're facing. I just think to, to, to go through it again and put together that type of season when you come off a game like that. Remember after the Super Bowl last year, I said to you, I thought it was going to be very hard for Seattle uh, to bounce back this year. Now they got, yeah, you know, they you got to get back to the end. You just want to get back to the end and you forego what comes before that. And that is winning your regular season games. You know, being yeah, able to you, do that. And nothing was so, you know, for a while there was this whole narrative going on that home field isn't that important because, you know, we had a couple outlier situations where some giant teams that, you know, may not have been the best team per se ended up, you know, winning Super Bowls. But I think this these last couple of years you've seen that home field's pretty damn important. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. I think even if Seattle would have found themselves in the situation that they found themselves in last week, but at home, I think it might have it may have turned out a little differently for them. I think they may have been able to get themselves all the way back in this game. You know, I, I in watching the game, there were one or two possessions when they started making their comeback where they missed some opportunities and you know had they converted either one of those or both of them they would have made their way all the way back in that contest and that's probably something that would have happened for them if they were in Seattle as opposed to Carolina yeah yeah the road is hard and you know yesterday going back to the game I thought I thought the 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 worst the, the I thought the two biggest plays in the game if we're going to say if we're not just going to accept the premise that Carolina just whipped them, but let's, there's two ter- key turning points in that game to me. One, obviously, was the Patrick Peterson fumble. If you recall the situation, it was 17-7. Arizona had just put together a nice drive, scored, got, I think, a three and out on Carolina. They were getting the ball back. The, the, the Carolina punter hit a low line drive punt. Peterson's a, a, a dynamic punt returner. He tries to field it on the dead run, figuring, you know, he's got a head of steam. I mean, he's the kind of guy who could, you know, literally return it. He does it enough. He he just muffs the punt, and Carolina scores. They get the ball. You know, they go right down, score. It's 24-7. Palmer throws another pick, so now it looks like we're in blowout city. But Peterson mm-hmm. redeems himself, makes a, a big interception, returns it down to the Carolina 20-yard line with 50 seconds left in the half. So now Arizona's on the door to going in 24-14 at halftime and having some momentum. And Carson Palmer threw an interception in the end zone that I have to ask you as a defensive back, what the hell was he looking at? I think he's shell-shocked at that point, really. But the fact remains that in that situation, you get a lot of guys dropping back. And one thing Carolina does is play his own very well. They get their drops. You know, they get deep, they get to their spots, and they do that very well. But before you even get to that play, Emil, in any other situation, I think against 90% of the league, someone of Patrick Peterson's athleticism and speed scores on that particular play, takes it from one end of the field all the way to the other. But Carolina happens to have some guy named Ted Ginn who uses all of that speed that he has and gets himself in there and tackles Peterson before he could score. You know, against most anyone else, you don't have a Ted Ginn that could go get a Patrick Peterson. And um, Very astute observation because that, that's one of those plays that will go unnoticed in that game. But there was a chance for a real momentum swing for Arizona, and who knows? It may not have mattered anyway because they got beat up. But Ted Ginn, you know, getting Peterson to the ground there and eventually getting them to the locker room at 24-7 – was a big mm-hmm. play because if Peterson returns that, who knows how the game goes from there? You really don't. Exactly. Very big. Exactly. Play. Yeah, I mean, football games, especially games of that magnitude, are a lot about momentum, and uh, there was a chance to turn it there, and Arizona was not able to. But you know, as you said, the truth of the matter is, at the end of the day, Cardinals 15 rushes for 16, 60 yards, and Carolina 37 rushes for 152 yards. They just dominated them where football games really matter, and that's in the trenches. And anyone watching the game, you could be new to this country and watch that game and realize um, that there was a domination at the core there. Carolina just won uh, where you win football games, right up front. They just dominated. Yeah, they were better on both both sides of the football. It's really just that simple. That's what you end up with. We've got 
We've got the uh, Carolina Panthers in the Super Bowl against the Denver Broncos in the early lines of this. You got Carolina as a three and a half point favorite. I saw uh, a stat out there, or you know, uh, you know, someone going back to the beginning of the season. You know, when Las Vegas puts out all types of odds about what's going to happen in the season, and the odds yeah. for Denver and Carolina being the two teams playing in the Super Bowl were one. One hundred eighty-four odds. What were they? One to one hundred eighty-four. So if you put $20 on it, you won yourself almost four grand. Exactly. Wow. That's where you were on that. So somebody somewhere had that bright idea and probably got themselves paid pretty well. But that's where we're at. Carolina, as you can suspect, is, uh, you know, the early favorites in this game. And it'd be interesting to see where the line goes on it, especially early on. I think it's probably we think it's going to have probably going to rise. Oh, I yeah, you know the only thing that scares me, and I said this to somebody yesterday, not scares me, but makes me think that maybe not as much as we think. There's two factors here. One is the Manning factor. Um, mm-hmm. People besides those that want to cheer for him, there's always that he. People remember him as Peyton Manning of 2007, 2008, and not the Peyton Manning today. So mm-hmm. I think there's a little bit of the Manning factor that might keep this line subdued a little bit. And I'll be honest mm-hmm. with you, there's a whole slew of people that don't believe in, in Cam Newton. For what reason, I have no idea, but they just don't want to believe that this guy is legit. I really am clueless to it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't understand it, but there is a slew of people out there uh, for some reason, don't believe this guy's legit. Uh, why I don't know, but uh, I believe that that may keep this line more. Uh, put it this way: I expected this line to open at seven. Okay, if Did I you give really? you Carolina's team, let me ask you this: I give you Carolina's team, same record and everything. Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback. Do you think the line is seven for this game? Um, you know I'm. I'm not sure. I think this is more about it being at a neutral site than anything else. Maybe. I think if it was, yeah, I think if it was some sort of a championship game leading to a Super Bowl and Denver was coming to Carolina, I think you're probably seeing this line about six, maybe six and. Eight. I don't care if they play him on the moon. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll have time to really analyze this because we've got two weeks to the Super Bowl, uh, so all types of buildup. So I don't want to really put myself out there yet because there's some things I need to look at. But, um, you know, those are the facts. Carolina is your early favorite, as we would both expect, especially on the heels of a 49-15 win in a championship game. You know, and, and the other team had to go all the way down to the wire. You know, you can expect the line to be in favor of the team that had the blowout. In fact, it was well on their way. I mean, that, that game against Seattle could have easily have been the same score as what we got yesterday with the Arizona game. So, yeah, they uh, had the lines, by the way, just so you know. They had them before the games yesterday, uh, potential matchups. And Carolina was going to open going to open as a two-and-a-half-point favorite before the games yesterday had they played Denver. And so uh, based on the result, we've got an extra point at most places. Yes. I've seen Carolina as high as five-and-a-half. So um, a tremendous move. Yeah, I believe it. A lot on that score. For sure. So makes sense. There we are with that. And so, um, Amo, all this really means is that we're getting closer to no football. At least on the, on the uh, field. Football. There you go again. You have to keep reminding me. 
Why? Just want to make you sad that? about that. Hey, but there's the another thing about the NFL, and we can uh, people can rail on Roger Goodell and the NFL itself, and there's plenty of uh, you know criticism to go around. But one great thing the NFL has managed to do is to make this a year-round sport. So before we can have a chance to go into a real and total depression, there'll be the NFL Combine where we can ooh and ah over vertical jumps and 40-yard dashes and, uh, you know, 225-pound bench presses. And before we can fall into a depression again, there'll be this thing called the NFL Draft, which really seems to get people really uh, going and riled up in them. There'll be mini camps, there'll be training camp, and before you know, we're right back at it again. So I have no fear. The NFL uh, has the pill for your depression. Thank you. And it's free. There you go. So, sort of. And it's it's free, kind of, sort of, unless, you know, you've got Comcast or That's any right. one of these other cable companies. There you go. So there we are, man. we reached the end of uh, another wrap-up Monday, and i um, looking forward to our show tomorrow as we bring Warren Sapp on with us. He can, you know, further speak on the, the things we saw yesterday, be interested in his thoughts on Peyton Manning and uh, the whole Brady Manning thing. And then, you know, I believe he's a lover of Cam Newton. We could have him expand on that love. We'll see. You know, you know sometimes oh, I'm sure he'll expand. I'm sure he'll expand. Right. Yeah, I'm confident in his expansion on, on the games tomorrow. He'll have a lot to say. Yeah, so that story, uh, Warren Sapp on with us tomorrow, so be sure to tune into that. And, of course, the uh, Wednesday Recruiting Roundtable, Emil, we are roughly 10 days away from National Signing Day, and I'm promising you, and I'm seeing it, and I'm you know hearing some things behind the scenes. We are on our way to one of the craziest signing days we've ever, ever had. Everyone buckle up and strap on. It's going to be a wild ride. And I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of changed minds and flipping and flopping and all that good stuff oh, on only, signing day. Oh, it's only going to get worse. And so we'll talk about that as I have the reporters on with me on Wednesday night at 8 p.m. So those are your programming announcements. Again, once again, we want to thank you all for listening to the Gridiron Studs Show. Um, and again, if you love the Gridiron Studs Show, and we know that you do, tell a friend the more the merrier. For Amo Calamino, I'm Chad Wilson. Thanks for listening to the Gridiron Studs Show. Enjoy the rest of your day. recruits out there. You want to get recruited by the colleges? Step up and visit GridironStuds.com today. We got college coaches visiting. We've got people visiting. We've got fans visiting. If you want to be seen, get your video up there right now. It's easy. Create a profile. Takes two minutes. Stop playing games. Get off of Facebook. Take control of your future. GridironStuds.com is where you need to be today. Visit now. Set your profile up and let yourself be seen.